It's November 7th, 1997, and Simon Fuller has a major problem. He spent the last few years as the manager of the Spice Girls, one of the most wildly successful pop acts in recorded history. He's brought them fortune and fame, and set up million-dollar sponsorship deals for them with Pepsi, Cadbury's, Polaroid. He's on top of the pop world, and they've just fired him. Fuller has commented that he came upon the concept of his next project the very next day after being fired. The new group was meant to be a continuation of the Spice Girls, not just another pop group, a multi-faceted entertainment brand. After auditioning over 10,000 hopefuls, he managed to narrow the field down to just seven. S Club 7 was born. Fuller resumed business as usual. Brit Awards, sponsorship deals with Pepsi and Cadbury, and a wildly successful kids sitcom propelled S Club 7 to the heights of megastardom. But at the same time as S Club 7 were topping the UK charts, something interesting was happening in Australia. Some television producers had seen a New Zealand program called Popstars, where the auditioning process that the producers, such as Fuller, went through were televised, with audiences able to watch the development of a brand new pop group. The show was a hit, and quickly brought over to Australia, where 2,500 hopefuls turned up to auditions, hoping for a chance at superstardom. Five were chosen, and they became the Australian girl group Bardo. And as luck would have it, their very first album would release just one month after the US debut of S Club 7. The TV show format would catch the eye of Simon Fuller, who would go on to produce a minor reality TV series that saw a modest amount of success, I think it was called American Idol. But what of these two manufactured pop product bands? Have their albums held up 20 years later? Can you really build the perfect pop group in a lab? And what percentage of S Club 7's lineup is racist? We're gonna find out. Welcome to an Albums Collide. Back on the podcast, Pedro. How's things, man? Good. Everything is good. How are you, Judd? I'm good. Now, this particular episode, I've had this one in the chamber since about week two, I believe. I've been waiting to go balls deep on Bardo for a while now. But it's more interesting for me because this is one of the very few, you're a man about the world, you're a man about town. This is one of the very few acts that you probably haven't heard of for good reason. What is your experience with S Club 7? What's your experience with Bardo? Uh, nothing uh, up till, uh, until this week, I didn't know who these groups were, especially Bardo. I think S club seven, maybe ring rang some bells or, and I maybe would have thought they came out of this English pop wave of the, uh, early two thousands, late nineties and stuff, but I couldn't tell you any songs from them and Bardo. I absolutely had no idea who they were, um, un- until this weekend. And, um, after doing my research, I finally figured out who uh, Sophie Monk is and why she is on every ad that I see on my YouTube channels. Yeah, you're getting a lot of DoorDash ads. I'm getting those too. DoorDash and Jimmy so Brings. Here's the thing. Yeah. I didn't realize, but I, I guess it makes sense that S Club 7 was so UK slash Australia based mm-hmm. because their, their TV show, which I watched as a kid all the time, was syndicated on Fox Kids and Nickelodeon and all these things. So I thought everyone knew about it, but apparently not. Bardo, on the other hand, there's no excuse. You should have no reason to know Bardo. It, it, it clearly makes sense. 
Now, this is not to be confused with Bridget Bardot, or Bardot, the folk rock trio from the 1970s in England, or Bardot, the 1982 Eurovision pop duo. This is the Australian girl group formed in 1999. So, how I got the idea for the episode is I went over this girl's house for dinner, and she sort of convinced me slash made me sit down and watch the entirety of the Bardo TV show, wow. Popstars, on YouTube from start to finish. It was quite an experience. Yeah. I remember her turning to me and she's like, how great is this? Who else could you do this with? <laughs> so, <laughs> and that is a very true... St- Shout out to Alice, yeah. my homegirl. Um, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you for bringing Bardo back into my life. And I say back into my life. You know why, Pedro? Why is that? I've met Sophie Monk. Oh, really? Yeah, I met her at Alice Springs Airport. I was about 10 years old, and I think I just went and got a photo with her. I think my mum made me go and get a photo with yeah. her on a film camera back when those existed. Okay, yeah. we happened to have one. Right. <laughs> just thinking about it was is wild. How was she? I tried to go. She was very nice. She was so nice. I think I had touched her too. No hover <laughs> hand either. It was, it was real. That's really nice. That's really funny. It's so. This is such an interesting episode because it's the nexus of the birth of the concept of pop idol or American idol and the confluence of pop as a product. I am super psyched to start it off. Let's start it off, shall we? S Club 7 with a bang, bit of a bop, bring it all back. What did you think of this? Man, 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 man. Like I have never heard S Club 7 and um, I was talking to my girlfriend about it, the, the topic this week and she was like oh i love s club seven so i was like okay what are we getting into and this opens up boy oh boy this is a sugary sweet teen pop song um i was not ready for it like and 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 not in a bad way it's fine you know but it was just so stereotypical bubblegum pop music and just everything about it even like with lyrics you know says don't stop never give up Hold your head up high and reach the top. Let the world see what you got. Bring it all back to you. Bring it back. Like, it's just so, <laughs> I don't know, positive and, and so sugary sweet to a point that I was like, is this like Christian pop or something like that? Because it's just so sunshine filled lyrics. Like, this is, this is, you listen to it and you're like, this was made in a petri dish. Yeah. This pop music was made in a laboratory by a mad scientist called Simon Fuller, mm-hmm. who I mentioned at the start of the show, but he is actually a mad genius of pop. Spice Girls yeah. on his resume, S Club 7, then he discovered Amy Winehouse and he made American Idol and every Australian Idol, Bulgarian Idol, Botswana Idol, every Idol, yeah. he produced it, so he is like the pop guy. Yeah, he is that dude. But I know what you're saying. It's so clean, it's so, so safe, because it's meant to be a product that will sell Pepsi, yeah, and it will sell Cadbury. So it has to be no references to drinking or drugs or anything. There's actually a funny story where the three members of S Club 7 got caught with weed. They lost a Quaker Oats sponsorship because of it. So it's really clean, made in a lab for mass consumption. So it is a little bit aimed at kids, right? Right. Like, this, this music... I would say even Bardot, kind of aimed at kids. All of these multi-person groups, even though they're, they're all ages, are generally aimed at kids. Mm-hmm. Why Why is that? Um, I think, well, you know, when you're a kid, especially like young teenager um, and even preteen, um, you have the time and you will have access to money, you know, whether your parents buy you 
merchandise and records or you have an allowance or maybe even have like a part-time job at McDonald's or whatever. So you have disposable income. So this stuff is marketed to those, those teens because they can just spend money on that stuff. You know, they can buy records and buy merchandise and buy t-shirts at Bardo and S club seven and other, whether it be like a microphone or other licensed merchandise. So I, I think that's a big thing that goes back to like the 1950s, man, with like rock and roll, you know, after World War Two, people came back and started working and there was uh, a surplus in the economy. So parents were able to give their kids disposable incomes with like allowances and stuff like that. And they just spent it on soda and bubble gum and record players and kids are buying record players. So let's just make artists that are specifically for them or marketed to them. So you have like the rise of Elvis or other rock and roll acts and goes into the sixties with like the monkeys and, and things like that. So um, teenagers definitely have buying power uh, when it comes to uh, music. You know what I mean? The reason I say Bardo was aimed at kids is because I remember it's like one of the first ever magazines I bought It's called K zone. It's a, maybe they still make it. I don't think so. But it was like a little, little magazine you'd buy at the supermarket checkout and for like $4 or something. And it had recaps of Dragon Ball Z and it had games and comics. And it also had an all-exclusive interview with Bardot. So that was the age range they were targeting, like 8 to 16 was sort of the K-Zone range, right? Mm -hmm. But more so, more pressing, is I saw a clip of Bardot on the NRL footy show, which is like a rugby show that they talk about rugby if you're not from Australia, but it's sort of a variety show as well, and they have bands Mm -hmm. on. And sort of like our Tonight Show at the time. Mm -hmm. And they had Bardo on, and it was so awkward, because it would be like having the Wiggles on or something. It was like very clearly a kid's act, and there's all these like grown footy fans in the audience watching it and leering at the girls, but they, they just didn't belong. And the same with S Club 7's big concerts, where they're like at a festival or something. Like, you guys don't belong here. You belong on a soundstage doing it to an audience of children yeah exactly yeah it's 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 interesting because those bands as you were saying like they are made in a lab specifically for um a certain audience and stuff so it's hard and and then when they get some success they get booked at different venues so they might get booked for a festival amongst i mean quote unquote more legitimate artists but they do stand out because typically they'll and i saw in the research like you know each member of s club seven had to have a particular color that they wore that was also always associated with them and things like that and it becomes very apparent that <laughs> very very wiggles yeah yeah, very yeah wiggles. exactly that is just so it's just a commodity so when you put them uh next to an artist i don't know let's just say like alanis morissette because we did episode on her it just it's just so awkward after a while because it's just like uh okay uh this doesn't necessarily fit bring it all back it's a catchy song yeah it's a catchy song yeah and we have hit, we have hit a new record for the When Albums Collide podcast. There are 20 fucking songwriters on this album, mm. not including the band itself. So if you include the seven, because they contributed to Bring It All Back, 27 songwriters. Yeah. Which explains the sound of the album completely grown in a lab to make the perfect pop album. Bardo, not much better. Mm-hmm. Because all of these reality TV shows, they're being judged when you watch the auditions on their singing, on their dancing, and obviously how they look. Mm -hmm. They're not being judged on their songwriting ability because they're not writing any songs. It's songs that are given to them for them to perform, which is why when songs stop being written for them, they all of a sudden don't have any more hits. Mm. None of this is more apparent 
than the first song of Bardo's album, which is These Days. I want to get, what, what did you think about These Days before I go off on it? I mean, I, I listened to Bardo's album first because I was more, oh, I guess I was a little more curious in, as to what their music sounded like. I mean, it started off kind of dark and I was just like, okay, where are we going? Because that bass line kind of starts like... really mellow and yeah dark. yeah big time uh, and then it just gets into it about it's a song about a breakup and then it does turn like super poppy uh it's talk about a breakup and this person was sad and depressed but it's just oh man like some of the lyrics there someone's been making me ill i bet you're still two three four letter word yes you heard the pretty little birds fly i was like what the fuck like i i, I guess like Poor, poor attempt to be kind of edgy because they're obviously saying you're still a four-letter word. I assume they're talking about shit or whatever, but they can't say it. So they just said it like that. And it just comes off like, oh, that's kind of, that was a little lame to me. But uh, what'd you think? Pedro, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight you on this. Okay. This is straight fire. <laughs> These days is a bagger. I like the song a lot. Yeah. I do. Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My roommate to the point where my roommates dislike me now because I've been putting it on so much. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, what a great song. These days. All right. <laughs> this was written by Philip Thorne Alley. Who is that? Literally no one. It's a middle-aged white dude at the time. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because when you want to write breakup songs or love songs and you're a creepy looking middle-aged white guy, no one's going to buy your music. But if it's five attractive women singing your songs, people will buy it. Right. Hence... The great cycle of life continues. Look up Tin Pan Alley if you want any tips for that. But right, this so Philip Thorne Alley. Who is he? He wrote that song "Torn" by Natalie Imbruglia. Oh yeah, you know that yeah. Song? And he produced the Cure's 1982 album "Pornography," which is a great album, and also explains the very gothic start to to this song. Right, mm-hmm. the, that bass line you were talking about. Right. I didn't. So I didn't expect that from a girl group at all, and I wish they'd kind of kept that vibe because mm-hmm. I was so into it. But. This song slaps. I can't believe you don't like it as much. I will admit the lyrics are ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, but that doesn't that comes secondary. In all these songs, across both albums, it's secondary. For an opening gambit, this song is brave. It's inspiring. I love this song. The one lyric I don't get though. These days the sun kicks in. The good guys win. I'm illegal in the backseat. What was she doing in the backseat, oh, Pedro? I don't know. I'm... I'm illegal in the backseat. Is she doing crystal meth? Is she having sex with a minor? Is she not wearing a seatbelt? What does that mean? I'm illegal in the backseat. Mm, it could be up for uh, interpretation. I mean, on one on the safe side, you could be like, oh, they're not wearing their seatbelt. On the on the more dangerous side. It could be, yes, you know, sex with a sex with a minor, someone underage. Oh man, it's, it's a, especially with you thinking about the person who wrote it. You're like, okay, that's awesome. As I said, we have all these talented songwriters. Obviously, none of the actual singers are songwriters, but that's fine. That's allowed. That's been a thing in music for ages. Yeah. In particular, I want to give a shout out to Kathy Dennis, who wrote the third song. Two in a Million for S Club 7, which is a nice ballad. One of the few ballads I've ever liked on the podcast mm-hmm. because Kathy Dennis is a phenomenal songwriter. So Fuller, who put the group together, either like lucked out or he had an eye for talent. I'm going to guess it's the latter mm-hmm. of identifying these phenomenal songwriters before they got big. Mm. So Kathy Dennis wrote this, Two in a Million. I think it's a good song. And then she would go on to write... Can't Get You Out of My Head for Kylie Minogue. She'd write Toxic for Britney. She'd help write I Kissed a Girl for Katy Perry. 
a lot of Galanta songs that I like, like that emoji song. This is the sausage factory for pop music, and he has just identified all these great producers and songwriters to give them great songs. What did you think of Two in a Million? Uh, I like Two in a Million. They, I like, they slowed it down, and, and I put in my notes, and I emphasized tried to, to give it like an R&B vibe to it, which I appreciate it, but I mean, it is, it's still very pop. Like, it's not totally full-grown R&B, right? So it has those... But um... you knew you weren't going into a heavy metal album. Right? Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know that, that's true. But I, I just, I can hear it. I'm just like, okay, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, I know what it's reaching for, um, but it's not full-blown all the way. Like, it's, like I said it before, it's sometimes edges on that um but i dug it i i i i really dug it to be honest with you i like both albums i think i preferred one over the over the other i will probably talk about that at the end yeah i thought it was i thought it was dope so i i, I really enjoy listening to this uh listen to the song what did you think of the production because it is both across both albums very 90s but again simon fuller mad genius mm-hmm. he scouted stargate who was like who the hell is stargate yeah. and then i looked up their discography and they've written like 10 number one hits for rihanna any number one hit you can think of, like Diamonds or Rude Boy or Take a Bow, they helped produce that. So obviously they were very talented, and this was their first big break doing S Club 7. They did Two in a Million, and they did S Club Party. Mm, Holy yes. shit. If you ever wanted some crack cocaine for a school <laughs> disco, this is it. Yeah. Like, this song goes off at school discos. Yeah. But by the way, that... Do you have school discos in in the states? Not not prom, not homecoming, but like a school disco, school dance. Uh, yeah, school dances. Yeah, we'll have them um, through uh, out the year, homecoming dance or something like that. And I mean, people dress up and kind of just you know you know do their do their thing. You know, probably stuff. It's very similar to prom. Prom is just a big one. Yeah, prom is no. It's not. It's not like a, a fancy one. It's just like a you go in your casual clothes to go and dance in the in the assembly hall. Yeah, something. no, no, not really. Like if you do have a school dance, people do dress up like in tuxes and suits and stuff like that, but um, not anything like that. Yeah, it's weird because I don't know why teachers organize them. I I guess they would tell the parents, oh, we want to like open up more opportunities for them to be social. Um, but really what they're opening opportunities for is for kids to embarrass themselves horribly at school dances and have horrible, like, high school stories that will scar them for the rest of their lives about how they, like, tried to do a dance move and then farted in the middle of the dance floor in front of their crush or something. Nothing good can happen at a school disco. What are they talking about? No, 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 absolutely not. Or, or Or maybe it's, like, people, they're trying to encourage people to have their first kisses or first dances at school discos, which is a little bit troubling as well. I don't know... I don't know where school discos are at these days. No, no. But um, this song, I did really like this song a lot. Like, I, I'm i not afraid to admit it, but it has been stuck in my head, like, all weekend. Just the S-Club. Ain't no party like an S-Club. Yeah, man. Like, it, it's good. And, for what, and, like, it knows what it is, too. That's what I appreciate it. Because it just, it knows what it is. It's it's all brand recognition. And back to that thing of this um it being just made in the lab it's just like the theme song for s club it's like it's s club party i don't know how many times they say s club in the song when it's just s club or ain't no party like s club party or just like sometimes there's a b-boy in the back and being like s club s club and all this stuff but even more so that they introduce everyone's um 
personality in the song. Like all the members, they'll be like, Bradley, he's the guy with the moves. And and Joe. I was, I was hoping you would pick that up. The, the, the like a, Avengers assemble moment where they yeah, go down the roster. Yeah, Joe, she's the one with the flow. <laughs> yeah, she Joe, she got the flow. Yeah. So here's the thing. The there's like some I think Norwegian guys made the made the song wrote the song yeah. three Norwegian guys because it's always Scandinavian guys and they were thinking they were given it and they thought oh my god how are we gonna fit seven people onto a song because even boy bands and girl bands are like five people max seven people so that was the biggest challenge so they wrote the verse where everyone introduces themselves because they thought it was important you got a feel for all the individual members mm-hmm. and they flew them out to Norway to like get to know them and find out that you know. Rachel's doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I this song. I mean, it's a banger. It is a banger. If yeah. you put this on in 1999, you put this on today, people will go off for it. And Australian British people, a hundred percent. Yeah, man, this is this is a good one. I I particularly like some of the lyrics to say, and it's funny that you say that they're written by Europeans because it does make sense because it it sounds like someone that where English isn't their first language, but they'll have lyrics like push the ceiling and i understand what they're saying or understand what they mean like kind of like raise the roof or throw your hands in the air but lyrics like push the ceiling i was like okay but also i pointed i wanted to point out lyrics like ghetto boys make some noise hoochie mamas show your nanas i was like i was like what the fuck? i was like all right man yeah it was like okay. let me guess it was bradley that said that uh i think so i don't know i don't remember but i just thought it was a fun song like it's super super sugary pop have you ever seen the, the movie the the witch that came out a couple of years back no i haven't yeah so there's a character and it's it's basically an evil demonic character his name is black philip and he seduces people and he the way he seduces people is like would you like to see something deliciously evil etc and deliciously blah 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 so i imagine like he would be like would you like to hear a song deliciously poppy and then this club and this song would would come on and it's evil yeah (laughs) oh not not yeah but it was just like so deliciously like over the top uh poppy and, and sugary and things like that also i really enjoy the scat at the end did you catch that the guy who's just like no. bah, 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 at the tail end of the song so i was like wow this is a this is the a, a perfect early 2000s bubblegum teen pop song possibly the best one ever composed so different from two in a million and we go back to the bardo album all over the place you can tell that I think more so because Simon Fuller just wanted to make this group and make money, whereas Bardot was a little bit more, we've done this TV show, mm-hmm. this reality TV show. Did you watch any of it? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't get any chance. I was just trying to judge it from just the basically, the music, basically. Yeah, you're trying to be an objective exactly. judge. When you watch it, it is so clear how far we have come in terms of reality television, because it's 1999 Australia, mm-hmm. which is ghetto is all hell. It's that simple. Every girl, by filling in the entry form in New Idea magazine, will get a shot at being signed to Warner Music. We don't just want a group for the television show. We're looking for a career act that will record three, four, five albums over the space of ten years. But it's all conditional on there being an act uh, with the talent that is capable of that. So we're going to have uh, a very intensive audition period. We're going to go to Sydney, Melbourne. Adelaide, Perth, and Brisbane. There'll be a cattle call for which we're expecting thousands of girls. They get a couple of seconds, basically, to sing their piece. And you know in American Idol, what's the most famous thing? The audition process. One person goes into a panel of three judges, 
they had not figured out that that was how it works. Mm -hmm. They got everyone to audition in front of each other, like five people to audition in front of an auditorium full of people. Mm -hmm. And it's so brutal to watch. The whole show is brutal to watch. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Former Adelaide choir girl Katie Underwood bought her outfit in London. She's hoping it will make the judges sit up and notice her. Ooh, if I seem to look dazed... Okay, sorry, you're right. Um, We're going to ask you to come back. And then you go and visit these girls in their, like, commission homes or their government houses. Really? And they've just had their big break, and it's really, it's really intense. Uh, They hadn't quite perfected how to soften the rough edges of Australian life um, yet. Really interesting. I have to check it out. The band was secondary to this concept of, can we do a television show where we just create a fake band? Right. And then people will get into it? When you go through the songs, like the second song, nothing like these days at all. I should have never let you go. Mm-hmm. It's very clear this is a proof of concept. We got, I got all these guys that can write songs for us, like these songwriting contacts that used to be big in the 80s. They'll just cobble together some love songs, and then, you know, Bardo will sing mm-hmm. them. I, I watched the, the, uh, the video for I Should Have Never Let You Go, and I thought, holy fuck, why isn't this a video podcast? <laughs> the video clip for this song is insane. It's... 2000 era flash animation okay straight off like newgrounds.com it's so dated that it is circled back and it's become postmodern. It, they're like superheroes fighting this giant green monster it comes out of nowhere it is ridiculous five stars highly recommend on rotten tomatoes really? it's amazing yeah i have to i have to check that out apparently this sounds a lot like a brandy song sitting in my room and i listen to them side by side and i sort of i guess I didn't mind the song. What did you think? No, I didn't mind the song either. Like, um, it it was fine. It was just once the album goes through, you you kind of what's the word? You give yourself up to the pop of it. But I just thought it was uh, um, it's funny and a little bit of ironic that the the previous song was about a song, uh, you know, a breakup song where the person's just like, oh, I don't miss you. My life keeps continuing and stuff like that. And then immediately, I shouldn't have let you go. It was a breakup song about them regretting the breakup. And and basically, and the, and the title it's like, is literally, yeah, I shouldn't have let you go. I was like, and that's why, you know, it's just it like. Could've, it couldn't be more clear that different people exactly, wrote each song. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like 20 guys just wrote the song and then they just placed it in with uh and with no regard to the track listing so i was like oh that's uh that's pretty pretty hilarious same thing the writing's all over the place because the next song is like a gospel yes. song higher than yeah heaven. bizarre choice to put this yeah in. yeah I, I thought i immediately picked that up it was like gospel influence um i actually like this song a lot i thought the girls really sang well together and they harmonized and the vocals were really good it's still very pop and it's not totally like a gospel song. It's not like a total Christian gospel song where they're saying like we love Jesus or anything like that. But it just does have those those influences, especially with the with the hook. Yeah, I did I did like the I did like the song a lot. The next song is the big song. I think everyone that has ever heard of Bardo, if you have heard of Bardo, you're one of the fifty people that has. Um, you will have heard this song, Poison. Mm. Do you want to do you want to take point on this one? Yeah, I mean it's a lead single. It's very indicative of like the early two thousands sound, that pop group sound, heavy bass line. It's fun. It could be. It's a little sexy, a little dark, 
but um, it's still very heavy pop. It kind of reminds me of stuff like the other quote-unquote mature pop groups, female-led pop groups like Danny Decane or A Dream. I don't know if – did you guys have Dream here? There was like a U.S. group. Uh, it doesn't sound nah, like Yeah, Diddy like sponsored them because after the wave of all these girl groups coming out in the early 2000s, late 90s, there was a group named Dream, and they were supposed to be like the bad girls of this scene. So it was uh, it was reminding me of, of that. Um, especially with the title name Poison, you know, it's not your typical pop song name uh, where something more fluffy and bubbly, um, but I, I really dug it. So straight banger. I don't care. I don't care what you what you say. This is a banger. It's written by the guys from Indecent Obsession. They're this band that looked like Bill and Ted cosplay really? in 1987. <laughs> they had like frosted tips. Ridiculous. Yeah. So they're not young anymore in 2000. So it's a little bit creepy if they're singing a song like this. So they just gave it away to the girls. This song was absolutely robbed of an ARIA award, as far as I'm concerned. It was robbed by Madison Avenue's Don't Call Me Baby. Really? We wouldn't see grand theft of this level again in the country until uh, the first season of Australian Idol, when Shannon Knoll was robbed by the Australian public. <laughs> is any of this, like, landing with you? Do you get the references I make, or is it just gibberish? Right Australian now, gibberish it's Australian gibberish to me, but I will go back and... Um... Um, educate myself on all the pop culture references because if important. you walk into any pub in Toowoomba, in Karatha, in anywhere that you want to find home in Australia, and you just say to the next person, Shannon Knoll was robbed on season one of Australian Idol, they will agree. Yeah, with you. all right, good. Trust me. Poison's a great song. It's like a little bit sexy too. The video clip's great, iconic. Uh, I, I like that song. Um, yeah. And the hits keep coming on S Club 7, too, because you got Everybody Wants You, which I think was the first song, if memory serves, that they sang on the TV show, mm. which is why they were so popular with kids. It's a genius move doing a really cheaply done sitcom, as in the quality would be better if you filmed it on your iPhone today. <laughs> yeah. It's that bad. And it's just these, like, seven kids that are in a band, and they go to Miami to work in a like a hostel or a hotel mm -hmm. and they're just volunteering there and they get up to all sort of wacky things like they go back to the 50s yeah. and also the 70s they time they time travel a lot yeah. really fond memories of it and you get to you know know all their personalities and they sing a song from the album at the end of each episode yeah sorry but on the show were they playing characters or were they playing themselves and then that kind of spilled over to the music as well they were they were playing probably exaggerated versions of themselves. Okay. Like they all had the same name, and they were still S Club 7, but they were getting into wacky hijinks. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, was it, how wacky were the hijinks? I've, like, I've never seen it. So would it, could, could it be just a thing I of, mean, like... I mean, I just told you, they, they went back in time. Yeah. Do you know what? I don't think this place looks like the 50s. I think it is the 50s. What? Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, look at the evidence. John's right, you know. We've gone back in time. They meet Cher. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, when, when you, once you're like tra time traveling, because I'm thinking like Scooby-Doo kind of escapades where like the house okay, is Okay, it's not quite that, but there is like hijinks. I will say that. Yeah, okay, cool. So how familiar are you, are you with the members now? Pretty pretty well. I mean, I, I there's seven of them. So it was hard to just keep you like, to, as far as listening to the record and be like, Okay, that person's that person. The only one I really stood out when I was listening to the record was, did it, I think it's Macintosh. Because later in the album, they do a song that was like so obviously like the hip hop song. And I was like, oh, I, I bet they got the, the black dude to do that song, <laughs> which was true. And I looked it up and I was like, yeah, and they did. You weren't wrong. Yeah, and I was not wrong. So 
objective power rankings of members of S Club 7 and Bardo. In order, it goes... <clears throat> Rachel, number one. Bradley, number two. Tina, number three. Paul, number four. Hannah's number five. Joe is number six. And John is number seven. Don't at me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> that is the correct power rankings. For Bardo, objective power rankings. Katie, number one. Belinda, number two. Tiffany, number three. Sophie, number four. Sally, number five. And Chantel, number six. We don't talk about Chantel. Mm. <laughs> She's like the fourth child of destiny. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. Saying? Yeah, she, she like dropped out of the group of actually after a while, right? On the show, it's so mysterious. They won't tell you what happened, but during the episode, on the show, she has a meeting with the producers, and you can see it on screen, and then she comes into the dining room, and everyone looks fucking pissed off. Mm. And they're like, so what are you going to do? And she's like, um, I'm going to take some time away and be with my family. It's kind of tough for me. And then she walks out and they're all really happy to see her go. Really? And none of them tell to the camera what it is. It's only revealed, you know, 20 years later that what happened is during this, this pop star show, they all got put in a house in Sydney, I think, yeah. to live together. And they all got a stipend. And she had stolen some of Sophie Monk's money. Yeah, I saw that. She, like, stole, like, $100 or something, right? Yeah. Which is ridiculous when you're about to make so much more as a member of a pop group. Yeah. And she stole someone's money and got kicked out of the group. Ridiculous. That is such an Australian ridiculous thing to do. Yeah, I've read that. I've read that she got, like, kicked off or whatever because of that. And it was just... And I think they gave her, like, $1,000 to uh, to uh, hush money to keep her quiet or something like that. And I was like, oh, oh wow. That's Jesus a, Christ. That's so crazy, so... Well, I'm glad we uh, went through the power rankings. And my opinion will not change. Rachel is still the best. No, yeah. More schizophrenic pop goodness with Viva La Fiesta. Hard left turn into some Latin pop. And I'm guessing... Live in La Vida Loca. I don't know this, but I'm guessing Live in La Vida Loca came out mm, about four months before this album came out. Yeah. Because everyone loves a Latino pop single. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm starting to cringe when I start hearing these songs now, especially because we did a couple episodes um, where other artists had like the quote unquote Latin song. As a person of like Latin descent, it's kind of like, oh, it's just kind of cr- for me, it's just kind of like, OK, I get what you guys are doing because it's not full salsa or full Latin. It just it's, it's it, it sounds really bland, but I get it. And I, I figured what people throw it in. Why? Because what? It, like, guess the party started or it just adds like some kind of flavor or some spice to the to that to the album, I guess. I, but I also thinking this as I was listening to this song, I'm thinking like, what are these seven you know, British teens know about salsa music. Literally nothing. Yeah, so I was like, alright, but it's fine. The important thing, and they got the casting right, is that three of them are sort of ethnically ambiguous enough to think maybe they could know something about yeah. it. Like, Tina and Rachel are obviously sort of people of colour, yeah. so that sort of works. Yeah, cringeworthy. The next song too, Gonna Change the World. Holy yeah. shit, I cringed hard at Bradley's intro. I wanna change the world. Yeah. In someone like the lyrics, like but from the ground, you can look up at the stars and see the words, I love you, painted high above you. Holy shit. Yeah, this song reminded me. Remember Black Eyed Peas? That song, um, Where's the Love? Like, people crying, people dying, or whatever it was. 
it kind of reminded me of that kind of theme of you know basically i mean the the, the title of the song is going to change the world but what we can do if we but get together much much worse yeah i've never heard so many na na na's in an album either. <laughs> like like you'll hear it in songs like na 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 or you know what i mean i was just like oh okay this is what this is what we're doing you know why there's so many na na na's no it's because they needed something for the other four members of the group to do yeah yeah because it. the back end of this album especially you can tell they only trusted joe and rachel to do any of the singing and they only trusted bradley to do the male singing right the other three the other four are just set dressing they're just there to do the dance moves and they look great tina looks great love tina i'm fairly sure and i've I've listened to it a couple times paul tina hannah they don't get a single verse in the entire album they're just doing choruses and harmonies and they're part of the group yeah yeah isn't that crazy yeah that is that is nuts i mean i guess maybe they thought on the second album, they'll have a little more more shine on there, but yeah, but it's clear for uh, Bardo as well. Sophie Monk is just set dressing. She's just set dressing. Yeah. Hence why she's playing the blonde bimbo in Adam Sandler movies and yeah. doing DoorDash commercials and now. Keep, keeping in mind, she's wildly successful now as like a radio personality yeah. for playing this caricature of a human being. Yeah. But it's clear like Katie Underwood and Tiffany are the only singers that are any decent, and the rest are just set dressing. Yeah. I mean. Jesus Christ. My, my objective rankings hold up. Sally is ranked last because she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Really? Come on, wow. now, girl. Come on. I mean, on, you can do together. that yourself. You can create your own Wikipedia if you wanted to, Sally. You can literally... She has enough notoriety. Yeah, she went to number one. Yeah, that is crazy. It's crazy. It's funny with, with Sophie Monk because, I, like I was saying at the top, like she... I've seen ads around town and ads on YouTube and stuff, so I knew that she was someone of note, and I... I think she was on the was she like on a reality show, The Bachelorette as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Contestant. So I figured that was what it was, but I really didn't know how she became famous. But I was saying to somebody with Sophie Monk that if there was a Venn diagram of what a pop star should look like and what a porno star should look like. She fits right in the middle. Oh my god! <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, am I wrong to say that? Like, I mean, she's that's. Uh, 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 I think it's a compliment. She's a very attractive person, but I think in Bardot, when I was watching the video at Alice's house, we were like, yeah. "Oh, that's odd." In between, in between, like the video for these days in Poison, she had a massive, you know, breast growth spurt. Okay. That all of a sudden she has double D's now. Isn't that odd mm. that she became a pop star and she got all this stuff? And I think when she moved to LA, because she was really giving the movie thing a go, yeah. she was trying to be Margot Robbie before Margot Robbie, yeah. she had fillers done, she had Botox, she looks wildly different. Yeah. Wildly different from the sweet young girl I met at Alice Springs Airport. All right, cool. My uh, uh, observation stands. She, yeah, she could be a porn star. And there's still time, so we'll see. There's still time, yeah, give it time. She could have an OnlyFans. Yeah. And down, Missing Your Love, pop filler on the Bardo album. But I tell you what, I've been listening to the back half of this album, like... On repeat, this whole afternoon, mm-hmm. waiting to record with you. Starting with Other Side of Love, and I was thinking, there's something about this song, there's something about this Other Side of Love that sounds so familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, the harmonies sound so familiar, I looked it up, and holy guac, Elliot Kennedy wrote this song, a.k.a. Elliot Kennedy, the person that wrote for the Spice Girls, and yes, wrote songs for S Club 7. Mm. We officially have cross-pollination between S Club 7 and Bardo. Fucking get the New York Times on the phone. I have their new front page story for tomorrow. (laughs) Breaking it, yeah. 
That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense that these people are working together and writing songs for all these uh all these groups, you know? Other Side of Love, I really liked it. I don't know why. Pedro, would you call this a startling and uplifting look into the duality of man and the dichotomy of human relationships? Because I certainly would. This is a hell of a song. Other Side of Love. Also, there's a really weird moment at 2.53 where the vocals just cut out. Like, it just... They just drop. It's like when I fuck up recording for this podcast and the audio just cuts out. That's what it sounds like. I don't know what the decision was to do that in the song. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm probably to give it uh, some, um, some sort of theatrics or anything like that. But yeah, I didn't understand that. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fine pop song. It's a, you know, the lyrics about the summer days and the wind blowing your troubles away and things like that. And, and I think the girls, when they vocalize together, they, they really shine on this song. So they had some pretty good direction when it when it comes to this so yeah i thought it was i thought it was a good song the next song and do you want to see a progression of my thoughts during okay. the during the, the listen yeah what have you done another elliot kennedy joint he's all over it my first take when listening through this album was i guess every pop album ever is essentially a commercial exercise mm-hmm. even if we like to believe that they aren't but these last few songs just felt so boring and by the numbers that it does make it a bit cynical. They've front-loaded all the hits at the start to give you the impression that you haven't wasted your money buying this CD and that there are decent songs that just peter out towards the end. Listen 2, I said, you know what, maybe I was a little bit harsh. Some of these songs are alright. Listen 3, I thought, you were a cynical cunt, Judd. This is amazing, mm-hmm. amazing pop music. This whole back half of the album, I'm into it. I am on board toot toot, bardo train population me. Yeah, what have you done? Yeah, you know what's, what's funny about what have you done? I started listening, when I was listening to it the first time through, I kind of thought it was, maybe it's just me being weird, but I thought it sounded like a 80s, 90s TV theme song, the way it starts off. Did you get that? Because in the way, because... <laughs> Like the, the lyrics, uh, it says. Nothing else matters in the world today. You know my car won't start and there's bills to pay. I left my summons yeah, on the bedroom yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, I did get, I did get that. You know, yeah, you know, they just don't scare me anymore. And I was just thinking about like Cheers. And now this is the anyone knows sitcom. Uh, a sitcom named Cheers was very popular in the in the eighties, early nineties. In your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. And I was just like, wow, it kind of does sound like uh, <laughs> like an 80s theme song. I liked it. I, I really did. It was um, a, a cool retrospect for me, and um, there was something nostalgic to it. So Honestly, I thought a lot of these songs, because I will understand, it is very samey. All the songs are about love or breaking up or trying to convince someone that love is okay, which is what the other side of love was, yeah. which is I thought was a nice, I haven't really heard that in a song like, yeah, you've been hurt in the past, but I can show you that there's more to love than just heartbreak. Right. Like, I'll show you it's good, which was really nice. But a lot of these songs, they just hit me, man. They just resonated. Girls do boys don't, which is referencing that girls do say I love you and boys don't. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, I'll see you out with your friends, but you never want to say hello to me. No, they wrote none of these songs. Yeah. All right, the talent is all just assorted assorted songwriters around Australia, but I was into it. Mm. I could dig it. Yeah, what's uh, that's the thing with um with like this type of pop music and I think I mentioned it to you earlier in the week. I'm I'm a sucker for this type of stuff. Like I do like the Bastion Boys and Dream and groups like Five, which is an English band and, and and stuff like that. Um and they get criticized for being manufactured and all that. 
but because they're manufactured and they have so many people putting into it that they typically tend to work you know what i mean like it's like kind of like mcdonald's like mcdonald's is not great food but they have it down to a science. They grew that quarter pounder in a lab. Yeah, exactly. With the perfect amount of salt, perfect amount of fat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they 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 have it down to a science as to what the general public would like and consume and have them keep coming back. And then they're gonna give you uh, you know, a twenty ounce soda of sugary sugar water to go down with it as well. <laughs> and people keep coming back. Even Bardo are not immune from the Livin' La Vida Loca fever that was sweeping the globe because yeah. got, got Me Where You Want Me was Latin. And I was like, nope, that, that'll do me. Yeah, yeah. You could have ended it on a sweet note, but no, no, no. Yeah, like I said before, like in, and it, it goes to show it, it, even more the comparison of how these, you know, these albums are manufactured. Like they just say, all right, we need to have a Latin song because Latin is in now so like i said before some of these latin songs make me cringe because i just feel like okay i get what you're doing you're trying to just spice it up and, and all these things so um, <laughs> do you feel culturally appropriated uh, uh somewhat <laughs> just a little bit but not too bad because it's not it's it's so i like it's so bland and it's just not as um it's it's not as offensive as it could be that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be on the streets marching or anything like that so yeah, bargain so bin ricky martin yeah exactly but you know what i've noticed and that uh with with s club seven and we might be getting ahead of myself here but when in their latin song one of their latin songs it's almost identical to a spice girl song that they came out on their second album the same like melody and the same kind of cadence and everything so it was um just something that you had to have on your pop albums back in the day. Sorry to interrupt, Pedro, but we have some breaking news. I was telling my mom about Sophie Monk. I was like, oh, remember when I got that photo with Sophie Monk? And of course, she still has the photo, and she just sent it to me. Wow. Do you have your phone okay. on you? Uh, I let's, do, yeah. Let, let's do it live. I'll send it to you. And I, this this is fucking photo. Exciting. This is going up on all our social media. This is going up. This is me. With Sophie Monk in Alice Springs Airport. I've got a Ferrari jacket on. I've got my Nikes on. My Nike kicks on. She's wearing some sort of flared cotton denim pants. She's got the beanie on. She's got no makeup on. Yeah. She's got, oh my God. Could you get any more 2001 right here, boy? Yeah. Wow. That is hilarious. What is, what jacket is this? Where'd you get this? That's a hell of a jacket, huh? I think my yeah. uh, dad bought it for me as a gift. Wow, that is fire! I was big pimping back in the day, man. Eight years old, yeah. I was big. I was big pimping. Yeah, it's funny because the way she's dressed is so like typical, typical like two thousands with the with that beanie on and like, like yeah, like, like almost like Jinko jeans that she's wearing, like the boot cut seventy style bell bottoms and stuff like that. So wow, it's a this is a beautiful picture. This is uh, should be on. You ever, I follow a bunch of socials like History Photograph where they have like photos of like Abe Lincoln or I don't know, <laughs> Winston Churchill, like in candid situations. This is this should be up there. This should be submitted into History Photograph. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing, man. It's going to be on the Facebook page. It's going to be on the Instagram page. S Club 7, we just got through the, the I Really Miss You, which is a pretty good song. Rachel's on the vocals. Kathy Dennis crushing it as usual. Then we get to Friday night, and immediately from the opening notes, I can tell it's going to be some funkadelic, chic, George Clinton shit. And I think to myself, who are they going to get to sing this song? Who in the band could possibly Ooh. do an R&B song? Oh, wait, 
they hired a token black guy for this. Of course, yeah. Bradley's going to sing this song. Yeah, I knew. That's what I was saying earlier in the episode. When I heard this song and it was like I heard the hip hop influence and all that, I was like, I bet they got the black dude to do this. And you know what? I'm not mad at you. <laughs> um, I like this song, actually. It was, uh, it was pretty dope. It's a nice little pop little thing. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, it served its purpose. I will say this about Simon Fuller. You can question his methods, but don't you dare question his results because he gets results with these songs. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, and it's so funny because it's just, it's called Friday Night. So it's, it's like your typical, like, this is the party song. Like, this is a club song that people are in the party listening to. And I think it ticks all the boxes for me. Looking at the album art for Bardot, I was shocked by how not diverse they are. Yeah, And even when we were watching it, at the time we were watching the reality show, my friend turned to me and said, it's kind of weird, they they really didn't go for diversity at all, huh? Because if it was 2020, they would definitely get some person of colour in there. You got to. You'd get you'd get destroyed if mm-hmm. you didn't. So S Club 7 did it, but Australia, they're all just white women, which is, hey, it's fine. It's totally fine. But I'm surprised they didn't go with like a token, you know, token person of color to just sneak in there and give us a bit of diversity. Yeah. Well, the thing about it, wasn't it on a pop show where these people had to actually come out and audition? So, um, yeah, you can watch the auditions and it's tragic. Yeah. So maybe that's, um, hmm, I don't know. I don't know who went out and auditioned, but maybe that was just like the general population of people who, who came out. Whereas S Club 7, I feel like they literally, like, Simon was basically like after the success of the Spice Girls, he was like, "Okay, I'm making a pop group. We need a scary spice. We need a ginger." Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and this goes even goes to show like how formulaic it is. Like I remember, I, I I remember listening to Spice Girls and stuff like that, and they they have everybody there: the posh spice, sporty spice, ginger spice, the baby one. So um, this continue uh, this tradition continues and. In, in pop you know s club 7 it finishes off with it's a feel-good thing and i thought yeah all right fuck off i'll allow one venga boys song per album but not two yeah. not two yeah. i won't allow it yeah man that was that was interesting because i was like man they have two salsa songs on there so i was like okay that's interesting and and this is the song i was referencing a little bit earlier when i was saying that it reminds me of spice girls which makes sense because simon obviously was the manager for the spice girls but for anyone listening listen to the opening track the opening bit of this song and then then listen to the opening track of spice girls second album spice world spice up your life and it's very much the same type of feel that this song is is doing even to the point where like that thing of someone is laughing in the in the in the beginning of the song and then the music drops i thought that was uh i thought that was funny that they uh, incorporated that i'm very impressed with your encyclopedic knowledge of spice girls by the way i can hear the panties dropping around the world <laughs> yes yeah it's it's embarrassing no but the only way i can defend it it was like i was like what 13 12 year old kid and there's a bunch of girls that are smoking hot and they're singing and dancing like what's not like what's not to like about that you know what i mean yeah i mean my my life goal at age seven or whatever was just to marry baby spice that was my goal really? i didn't have any other greater ambitions and then I, I changed i grew into a man of taste and started liking posh yeah yeah see i was more into like sporty spice in the beginning because oh was really like, yeah. interesting well oh, she geez. was the athletic chick you know and it was just like oh wow like she's athletic she's like 
does this now that i'm grown up i can see yeah posh spice is definitely the more the, it's the acquired taste exactly the, the <laughs> for one. a discerning gentleman posh spice exactly all right we've had some fun games pedro uh, but now it's time to depress the shit out of both you and our listeners with a where are they now update. Mm. So people might be confused that I ranked Joe so low in my power rankings. I mean, she sings pretty much all the songs. She's the best vocalist. Why? Because she's a massive racist, allegedly. <laughs> Did you look into this? No, I didn't I didn't see anything. This is what I'm curious to find out. Joe O'Meara was on Celebrity Big Brother, and also on uh, Celebrity Big Brother was an Indian contestant. Oh, man. And Here apparently during a challenge, uh, she had undercooked the chicken, and when they suggested that the chicken may be cooked differently in India, Joe said, that's why they're all thin, because they're sick all the time. They're always ill. Oh. Uh, which apparently, along with some racial comments made by Jade Goody, drew her the ire of the British public to the point where she had to do, like, sit-down interviews where she was playing the victim from all this bullying she was getting because she said a racist comment. You know, there is justice in the world because she was evicted along with all the other racists and the uh, lady that she had been racist to ended up winning Celebrity Big Brother. Oh, wow. So good on her. There you go. Repercussions did follow her, though. On the 12th of November 2008, a bottle was thrown at Joe during their performance in Bradford, with leaving her with a severe cut to the head. A 20-year-old man was arrested and he said that did justice for her performance on Celebrity Big Brother. Mm. So she is not the most popular, especially in South Asian communities. No. But in 2008, herself, Bradley, and Paul formed the spin-off group S Club 3, and in the most depressing sentence, perhaps, they've been performing in nightclubs, universities, and caravan parks around the United Kingdom. Holy shit, that's sad. If you ever wanted to depress yourself, go and watch a 2014 reunion video of S Club 7. Good lord. Tina and Rachel are looking alright. Paul, Joe, Bradley, Hannah, John, they have hit the wall Something fierce. Mm. And they go through the roster, except everyone's put on conservatively 75 pounds. And the point where it gets to Paul, and it says, Paul's getting down on the floor. And Paul can clearly not get down on the floor anymore. And he does this little movement, just this movement that is the saddest thing I have watched all year in a year riddled with virus and heartbreak. This was the most painful thing I had to watch. Paul getting down on the floor. On the other side, the members of Bardo. You know what's really depressing? Is I was looking up the interviews for Bardo, and I found one where they're on Sunrise, which is, you know, the Good Morning Australia, Good Morning America show we have, uh-huh. the morning show. And it was posted from Katie Underwood, Katie from the band's official YouTube page. She posted it, and it had 900 views on it. Mm, wow. We have 900 views, Pedro. Yeah. We could probably get her on the podcast. Oh. In fact, it made me so sad. Yeah. Like, all her videos have, like, 1.8 thousand views or something. Mm. It's so tragic. And she she was clearly the most talented, Katie. She was very talented, the best singer, the best dancer. She had a really good house music phase with Disco Montego. Splicey, splicey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Belinda still looks great, still can get it. Please marry me. It, it's just crazy. It's all fallen apart because Sophie Monk, the biggest one, much like Posh Spice, wants nothing to do with them because mm-hmm. she's a millionaire now and wants to put that behind her. Mm-hmm. So Bardo has fallen by the wayside. This album remains by itself, but they were a product to begin with. Right. Even looking at the album art of the Bardo debut album, they all look like Bratz dolls. Yeah. Like they're all posed like dolls in this polyester 
lycra material. They look like human dolls. And that's essentially what they were made to do, whether they're talented or not. Yeah. It's interesting because I was looking at the album art and I, I, I thought to myself, it was like, are these supposed to be Barbie dolls or whatever? And I wonder if that was also a response to like NSYNC at the time with their album, I believe it's called No Strings Attached. On the album cover of that, they're just dressed up as manurette puppets and stuff like that. So I wonder if that's a comparison to that. But yeah, the symbolism of them just being basically <laughs> commercial products, it's its its definitely fitting. Before we get to what you thought of the albums, I just wanted to talk about pop groups a little bit. And it's a shame that they're not as big anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, la- the last really big one was One Direction, maybe mm-hmm. Fifth Harmony. It is the trait that all of these pop acts split up to have solo careers. I think every single one of One Direction's members has had a solo career now and solo albums and stuff. Right. I find it quite sad that egos in pop music are so big that they never do big supergroups like the Traveling Wilburys or the Highwaymen or something mm-hmm. because everyone wants to be in the spotlight themselves. You're never going to have Madonna teaming up with Britney and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and doing a supergroup. But can you imagine if there were, if you got a diverse rainbow of, fuck, we need a Brad, we need a Bradley, let's get Chris Brown in there, and we need a good singer, so let's get Lady Gaga, and they made a supergroup? Can you imagine the money they would print? Yeah, exactly. That would be, it would be like the Avengers. It would be uh, uh, Avengers in, in Infinity War or Endgame. It where... would be. Perhaps more importantly is I think pop music may have moved on from appealing to kids, or rather kids have grown up too much. What are the popular what are the popular songs these days? Ariana Grande with her song Side to Side, mm. a song about getting dicked down so hard you can't walk straight. Yeah. Or her her collab with Lady Gaga, then then you want Rain on Me, where it's got like this weird filter where it looks like they've been jizzed on. Mm. And that's the that's the idea. Kids are way more weird and freaky now than they used to be. They wouldn't they wouldn't stand for this saccharine, soft, boring, no not even a single reference to snorting cocaine off the top of a toilet seat. No. Kids wouldn't stand for it. Maybe that's true, but I tell you what, if you put on for any seven year old S Club party, I bet you they'll like it. I bet you they'll like it. Yeah, definitely. It's still it's still a banger in twenty twenty. And you know what? It'll probably be a, a banger in thirty twenty as well, so <laughs> I hope so. Let's wrap things up, Pedro. What did you think of the albums? Um, yeah, I thought I thought they were they were good. I'm gonna they were good, almost even borderline great as far as what they are as uh, pop albums, teen pop albums of the early twenty, early to to two thousands, uh, late nineties. Uh, the most indicative song from Bardot, I would say, would be "Girls Do, Boys Don't." I just think it 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 really encapsulates what the what the whole album is, and their whole sound. And for S Club, you already know what I'm gonna say is S Club Party. That's just that is just the joint. That's just the banger for that song, for that album. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, it really brought me back to the early 2000s with Team Pop and what it all had it going on. I mean, and I don't think Team Pop is gonna stop anytime soon. No no credit to the performers, but it's all entirely on a guy like Simon Fuller, mm-hmm. who just sees what he wants and just creates it. Yeah. Um, he just creates this product and sells it, and he just he knows what he's doing. Yeah, um, exactly. 
outside of Poison and These Days, which still hold up as Australian bangers, and I would sell those. For Bardo, I'd say Other Side of Love. I really like that because it's actually quite S Club 70, because it's written by Elliot Kennedy, who wrote S Club 7 songs and Spice Girl songs and blah, 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 blah. Other Side of Love, nice little message, and um, it really sells it to me. For S Club 7, god, that is a hard one, because there are some straight fire tracks on here. Hottest mixtape of 2000 <laughs> right here. I want to say Two in a Million, Kathy Dennis, amazing songwriter. Really, yeah. Who, I mean, she went on to write perhaps the best pop song of all time, Toxic. Yeah. But Two in a Million, a ballad I can actually stand to listen to. I actually really like yeah, it. Yeah, I know you hate ballads, so that is um, that is some big praise. This was a different listen for me because it was a trip down memory lane and a nostalgia trip, but I would recommend any fan of pop music, really safe pop music, to have a listen to these albums. Not as bad as you think it's going to be. No, yeah. That's an that's a important thing to note as well they have an age um as terrible as someone would would assume right especially because of the genre and everything that goes into it but um that's what i was saying to you i believe off mic that you have to appreciate with this type of music that yes it's manufactured yes it's made in a lab and yes it's meant to sell records and stuff like that but all that is on the forefront and it's done so well that you can't hate on it because they they get results and um the music does uh last over over time so i was gonna say the closest thing that i can remember in comparison to the united states that we had was well there was actually two there was one group called california dreams it was what the thing was they were actors that pretended to be musicians and they probably follow the same formula as club seven in their episodes where like they had wacky adventures and then there was a lesson to be learned. And then at the end they played a song from their album or whatever. And then as far as Bardot, the closest thing I can think of, there was a show, a reality TV show called making the band. And it was the same kind of thing. They got all these boys in a house and live and made them live together. And then they eventually formulated a group called O-Town, which, um, it's interesting for me because because I'm from Florida and O Town is code or slang for Orlando, so they were like the group from Orlando, so they were like our claim to fame. Um, and um, I used to bang their music all the time to the point that, and this is a silly story. Like myself and my and my my high school friends, we went out one time, and for whatever reason, we were like just all dressed the same for whatever fucking reason it was just a coincidence and then everyone started asking us if we were a boy band and we just went with it and we just told them we were a boy band that hadn't come out yet <laughs> and we told them we were ozone and then i remember like at one point like all these kids like started asking us for autographs and we signed autographs as ozone for like an hour <laughs> before we were like we should leave because this is getting weird <laughs> And um, this was before you could pull out your phone and look up on Wikipedia who the fuck Ozone are. Exactly. So uh, shout out to Ozone. And uh, hopefully we'll come out with a, a reunion album and then our first and last album, a reunion album. So I will be a front row ticket holder to that. Thank you. That. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week. All right. Yeah. We'll end it there. See you guys. Bye. Would you rather go to a gangster party with Snoop and Tupac or an S Club party with the rest of the gang? With Bradley and the rest of the gang? There's there's no debate. There's no debate. I want to go to an S Club party. It's a hard one. Yeah.
I know for sure they're going to have soda there, so. 